Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guest is author, mentor, speaker, and cancer survivor, Cynthia Hayes. As Cynthia states, many people feel in some way that they're responsible for their cancer, that there was something that they did, that they didn't get diagnosed, that they didn't pay attention to their body well enough. There's a lot of internal stuff that goes on. I'm trying to get to the bottom of, well, why do people feel this way? Hi, Cynthia. It's good to meet you. Um, what would you like coaching on today? Well, I, I think one of the hardest things for me is I am such a scientifically minded person. Um, how do I incorporate um, other modes of uh, coping with the world into my practice as a mentor for, uh, for cancer patients? I do a lot of um, uh, cancer advocacy work and mentor patients on a one-on-one basis. I know that there are things other than Western medicine that can be helpful. Um, and I'd love to learn how to incorporate that um, when it feels counterintuitive to me um, into my practice. Mm. So you do a lot of work with cancer patients uh, and most of it is you know Western-based and you're just trying to figure out how you can use a more intuitive maybe sense and practice in order to further and and incorporate things like you know ayurvedic medicine and and uh, mindfulness meditation and and things that are not part of my personal day-to-day but could be helpful to uh, to patients so what would be a really great outcome for today I mean, I guess a, a great outcome would be understanding sort of a, a roadmap for how to work through all of that and how to um, learn enough about these different uh, modalities to then be able to draw from them appropriately um, in my uh, in my mentoring practice. So a roadmap that would allow you and 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 the people that you serve to be better guided. So Cynthia, how did you handle your cancer diagnosis to recovery? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, my diagnosis, like for most people, came totally out of the blue um, and was a, a shock to uh, both me and, and my family. Um, and um, I, I 
tended to uh, vacillate between either, you know, tears and total certainty that I was going to die from my cancer to putting on the badass front that I normally um, uh, show everyone in order to both give myself the strength I needed to get through it, but also, um, uh, I guess, protect others around me from um, the emotional wreck that I was feeling on the inside. Uh, and that and that tends to be my um, my way of getting through um, that uh, that thick skin of competence and um, uh, an attitude allows me to um, project a confidence that I don't always feel. Um, but inside, I'm often like, well, you know, I'm I am going to die or. Uh, I'm no good at this or, you know, whatever the uncertainty is. Um, was there anyone in particular that you confided in with what was stirring within your feelings? I certainly, I you know my husband was uh, a tremendous support and, and so was my daughter who was um, on the couch with me more often than not. She had just graduated from um, college and was, um, planning on being home for the year, working for one of her professors while applying to uh, graduate school. She was not counting on taking care of mom during that year, but, but she rose to the challenge. So she was, uh, she was a constant companion during that, uh, that miserable year. What else or who else did you rely upon for strength during that time? Well, I, you know, certainly my, um, my professional care team was very, um, very supportive. Um, and, I actually chose my surgeon based on his um, really taking my hand um, and holding my hand and looking me in the eyes and saying, you know, you're going to be fine. We're going to deal with this. Everything's going to be all right. And it was that warm embrace of um, his care that made me feel most certain that, uh, that I was going to, uh, going to survive. Um, but I think that with him, as with so many others, I projected that, um, that veneer of competence and, and comfort that I didn't necessarily feel. Um, he used to refer to me as, you know, one badass cancer patient. And, you know, that's obviously, that's, that's what he saw. Um, it wasn't always what I felt. Um, I spent a lot of time like walking in Central Park or running on the days when I had enough energy going for a slow run in Central Park or even just losing myself in the in the woods or in the snow in, in Central Park, just as a way of being out in nature and, and you know, having a chance to, to think. Um, you know, music, music was a big part of my, um, my journey as well. Uh, uh, being able to tap into different um, types of music as a way of uh, helping to change my moods and, and deal with my emotions. What was the, um inner voice of Cynthia wanting at that time? Oh, I think most of all, I wanted um, uh, the comfort and reassurance that everything was going to be okay, you know, and um, uh, hearing that from my doctor, you know, hearing from my husband, you know, everything's going to be fine. Hearing from my daughter, I'm here, I love you, everything's going to be fine. Uh, those are all, you know, very reassuring words, but you don't necessarily feel it just because you're hearing it. So. Yeah. Are any remnants still with you, those feelings? At this point, no. No, I am uh, six years post 
um, treatment and, uh, you know, it's no longer a source of anxiety. I know that I should go once a year and get a checkup and test and all of that, but it's not, it's not really with me other than it has become my life. So, you know, prior to my diagnosis, I was um, going to write a, a book, definitely going to write a book. It was going to be a novel. Um, after my diagnosis, I saw that there was a need um, and, and it was interesting how that, that came about. I was at the, I was at the gym. I was bald, you know, naked face, everything just gone and um, no energy. And I'm sitting on a bike um, trying to remember what it was like to have energy and do exercise. And a total stranger comes and sits on the bike beside me and starts telling me his cancer story. And um, obviously he could see that as a cancer patient. There's no hiding that. Uh, but he, as he was going through his um, diagnosis and treatment process and um, uh, his entire experience, what struck me was the degree to which we shared um, a, yeah, an emotional response to the diagnosis, an emotional response to the treatment, um, the fear, the anxiety, the um, depression, the cognitive uh, symptoms. And nobody had mentioned any of that me before and it's like oh well if this is a common experience why aren't we talking about it and then I started talking to a couple of other friends that I knew that had been through cancer and sure enough they mentioned many of the same things and when I went back to my doctor and said you know what's with all of this emotional you know stuff he says oh yeah everybody feels that way it's like why didn't you tell me why didn't you warn me so that's when I decided to go and write a book about uh, about cancer um, and cancer emotions, um, and ended up interviewing you know over a hundred people to try and see well what are the patterns and how do people cope and and um, what what are people feeling, but of course the bottom line is that you know we still go through a lot of emotions, thinking that we are the only one on the planet. Um, weak enough, uh, you know, incompetent enough to not know how to deal with, uh, with cancer. In writing the book and talking with so many cancer patients and, and survivors, what have you found is the kernel, the, the truth among all those stories? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, there are certainly patterns. Uh, I, I think, first of all, the, the truth is that cancer is emotional uh, and that there are sort of external and internal reasons for that, um, you know, starting with uh, the mythology that, you know, cancer is a death sentence, um, which for millennia it was, but it's not necessarily the case now. Um, but also stemming from the fact that we do feel uh, in some way, or many people feel in some way that they are responsible for their cancer, that there was something that they did, whether it was in a prior life or this one, whether it was diet or lack of exercise or too much stress or, you know, whatever. Uh, they didn't get diagnosed. They didn't pay attention to their body well enough. Many people feel responsible for their cancers. Um, and then we have brand new doctors that we're dealing with. So we don't have the close relationship of a long-term um, uh, care provider to rely on um, to be able to feel comfortable talking about uh, what's going on. But in addition to all this external stuff, there's a lot of internal stuff that goes on. I mean, as I you know, interviewed patients, I also interviewed you know, psychotherapists and oncologists and uh, uh, neuroscientists to try and understand, well, why are these such common threads? And 
I, I learned a lot more about neuroscience than I ever imagined I would um, because I was trying to get to the bottom of, well, well why, why do people feel this way? And I learned that a lot of what the emotions are driven by are changes at the cellular level within the body as a result of the presence of cancer and um, the, the treatments them, themselves as cancer cells die off or um, because of the chemotherapy. Um, and that therefore it's, you know, it's like you expect pain when you break a bone, you expect depression and brain fog when you have cancer. Um, it turns out it's related uh, very strongly to the inflammatory response um, and uh, that um, when our bodies are overwhelmed with inflammation as a result of cancer and as a result of the cancer cells dying from treatment and whatever, that that's often read as sickness behavior in the, uh, in the brain and sort of drives us back to bed and pull the covers over the head and don't think clearly and, and all of that. So a lot of those emotions that most people seem to experience um, are driven by physical things as well as those external factors. But how we deal with those emotions is different um, from person to person and how we um, express uh, our emotions, how deeply we internalize those emotions, uh, how, uh, how deeply we feel those emotions uh, varies enormously uh, based on who we are and, and our genetics and our life experiences and whether or not we've experienced trauma earlier in our lives. I mean, a whole host of things that, um, uh, you know, psychologists uh, understand, but uh, the average cancer patient doesn't. Emotionally, how did cancer show up for you? Uh, you know, it, it, it certainly um, made me very fearful. I was um, convinced from uh, a very, uh, early stage that I was going to, uh, that I was going to die. Um, and once I had, you know, there's a long period of uncertainty with cancer. You first have an inkling that there is a, a mass or something that needs to be dealt with. And then it's really not until, you know, they have the surgery and they've done pathology on the tumor. And that's when they really understand exactly um, what's going on. So that can be a couple of days or more likely, you know, a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. And that period of uncertainty is just really, really hard to deal with. Um, and for me, during that period of uncertainty, that's when I was was most anxious and certain um, that I wasn't going to survive. Um, I think once the plan is in place and you have confidence in your team and you begin to see that the treatment is working, it's a lot easier to get comfortable. And, and certainly that was my pattern. Although you know, every treatment cycle, um, they would shoot me full of dexamethasone, which made me feel great for a couple of days. But I would have a real emotional crash when uh, I had withdrawal from the dex dexamethasone. And so I would have weepy days, and then I would have, uh, you know, a few days of sort of slowly crawling back out of my cave and feeling energetic again, and then have another uh, week or week and a half of recovery, and then whack you again. <laughs> Did cancer sort of show up for you in, in, in any way into, in your physical body besides the presence of a tumor? Well, it certainly manifests itself in, in fatigue, but that was, um, you know, I had minor fatigue prior to um, the diagnosis, but, you know, mostly sort of 
the treatment resulted in fatigue, the treatment resulted in um, brain fog for sure. Um, treatment resulted in um, depressed, you know, white and red blood cell counts and, and things like that. But otherwise, no. Yeah. You know, just the, the general deconditioning that comes with, you know, three weeks of recovery from surgery and then all, all of that treatment. The fears that you expressed um, of possibly dying from this, what were the, um, what were the feelings attached to that? Oh, it was, you know, am I not going to get to uh, see my children um, develop into uh, adults? Am I not going to uh, get to spend um, the 30 years of, you know, living with my husband and, and being able to enjoy our, um, our days now that the kids are out of the house? Am I not going to get to spend another, you know, Christmas with my family? Am I not going to, you know, get to, uh, to do all of these things that I had postponed over the years, looking forward to doing them um, in my retirement years. So I think, I think that was the major thing. It wasn't that I was worried that it was going to be painful, but rather it was a, a sense of loss. And, and I think with that sense of losing these things that I have thought about and, and dreamt about also comes losing that sense of um, control over your life that, that, you know, you can forecast and plan and predict um, and, uh, and schedule. Did cancer have a specific message for you? Oh, it certainly told me that life is unpredictable. <laughs> and, you know, I, I like to say I've always been a planner. Um, you know, I, uh, I, it was important when I was young to plan and, and um, be able to manage a, around a very uncertain um, household when I was growing up. Um, but, you know, then I was a professional planner. I got a you know, a business degree and, and was a strategic planning consultant. So I am a planner. I like to plan vacations. I like to, you know, plan menus well in advance. I like to, you know, plan my, my work days. Um, so, you know, but cancer just said, nope, you're not going to plan anything. <laughs> there is just no planning life and you have to roll with that. So, um, you know, that's a good lesson. It's, uh, it's good to be able to uh, do things in the spur of the moment and, and balance that inclination to plan with a desire to just feel and be. Um, so, and certainly with cancer, you just, you, you can't plan. You don't know how you're going to feel from day to day and uh, learning to just roll with it. Um, I think was an important part of it. So. What do you feel cancer took away from you? Well, I think that what it took away was a, um, uh, a sense of confidence that I was going to have a, uh, a long and um, healthy life. Um, and, you know, even though I'm no longer, um, you know, fearful of the cancer uh, recurring, um, it has certainly made me more aware of the fact that, you know, we have no way of knowing no way of knowing what the, uh, you know, overall life plan is. And so just take, you know, a moment at a time. Um, and, I, and I think that that's been, you know, particularly um, 
true for everyone during COVID is just, you know, life has just become ridiculously unpredictable and you have to roll with it. Um, and you can't plan too far in advance because you don't know when the next wave is coming back. You can't decide you're going to, you know, travel to India next month because in fact, India could be going uh, through a bad wave or we could be going through a bad wave. And so, you know, you just, you learn that you can't plan despite my best intentions. <laughs> so how, how are you uh, dealing or feeling with the feeling of uncertainty and lack of control? How's that sitting with you? Oh, I think I like to fight it all the time. <laughs> it's my natural, uh, as I said, natural pattern to want to, to want to plan things. Um, and there are days when the frustration of not planning, uh, not being able to plan things is, is great. But I, I've also gotten much, much better at, you know what, that's tomorrow. I'm not looking at tomorrow. I'm just looking at today. Um, so, I, you know, it's a bit of a cognitive um, dissonance for me because uh, people will ask me, well, so can we get together tomorrow? It's like, I have no idea because I haven't looked at the calendar for tomorrow. I don't know what's there. <laughs> so I, I have gotten myself into a few scheduling snafus because I'm not looking so far ahead. I'm not, I'm not spending as much energy on planning as I used to. Um, and that's okay. Do you feel that cancer gave you something that you didn't expect that you appreciate? Oh, well, certainly the, you know, the biggest thing that it gave me was um, the voice that I have now in talking with cancer patients and um, helping people get more comfortable with uh, their own emotions around cancer. Um, that was a, um, that was a gift. Um, and, uh, you know, while I had always had the desire to be a published author, um, it wasn't quite, um, a book about cancer that I had in mind, <laughs> but I'm very happy to have published this book, which I think is, uh, an important resource for people. Um, because cancer is a big ordeal. It is a big blankety blank ordeal that we all have to learn how to deal with and um, finding a way to uh, guide others through it. And, and so many of the connections that I've made in the process of um, guiding others through it uh, has, been, uh, has been very rewarding. So. Yeah, I want to go back to our original um, intent for this conversation was how do you broach or talk to individuals who you serve in a more um, emotional or feeling way rather than has today's insights given you any further clues in that area? Well, certainly, um, you know, the, uh, the conversations that I have with, uh, with patients that I'm mentoring is, are all about um, emotions and how to integrate their emotions into their, uh, into their daily lives. Um, uh, you know, there are times when I, um, I don't know how to uh, hear what they're saying um, because I don't feel the same thing. And so that's, you know, that's sort of what I struggle with. Um, uh, you know, um, how do I embrace somebody else's um, uh, religious drive um, when that's a minor factor in my life? How do I respect somebody's um, uh, guide uh, or interest in, um, you know, a, a medical treatment, 
quote unquote, a complementary therapy that I can't find any scientific research to support. Um, so I, I struggle with that. Um, and I, uh, you know, looking forward to trying to round that out more for myself. So. And the mentees you serve, what do you think they want? I think most of all, they want to know that they're going to be okay, um, that somebody else has experienced much of the same um, thing that they've experienced and come out okay. Um, and they want to know that it's not a sign of weakness to feel what they're feeling, that it's not, um, that they're not bad people because they feel the way they feel. Um, those things I can certainly provide for them. Do you um, sense from them um, that they want an answer to their problem? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, the most important thing that you know that people reach out to a mentor for um, is uh, you know help help me through this. How do I how do I do this? How do I manage? Um, and um, I, I don't know who said it first, but there's a wonderful um, uh, saying of, you know, to know the road ahead, ask someone returning. And the fact that I have been through it allows me to guide them in a way that, you know, a professional who hasn't experienced um, really can't. Um, so there's a, there's a bond that comes instantly uh, because we've been through the same share, shared experience. And when there's um, uncertainty in that area of the answers, how does that make you feel? Well, I am definitely somebody who likes black and white. <laughs> no question about that. Um, but uncertainty is something we all have to live with. Um, and so, um, I, you know, I spend a lot of time talking with patients about, um, well, how, how can you get comfortable with the uncertainty? What can you do today to get through today, knowing that you're not going to have certainty today. Um, and so, um, you know, the people approach that from very different perspectives. Um, but I, I try to remind people about, oh, the benefit of a long hug, um, the need for laughter, uh, the um, refreshing energy we get from being outdoors, um, breathing in uh, all of the, um, the trees and grass and green things that, out, that are outside. Um, so I, I try to go back to the very basics around um, uh, what helps reduce stress. Um, and, and so much of what people feel is uh, stress. In the subtle nature of uncertainty, do you think it has some wisdom to share with you um, on how you can couch some of those conversations on maybe a difference of understanding when it comes to therapeutics or integrative modalities or religion. Do you suppose that there's something in there that you can find that can help you move forward? Mm, that's a really interesting point. So I think what I hear you saying is just as I've dealt with uncertainty around my own diagnosis and um, the prognosis of cancer patients that I coach, I could deal with the uncertainty around whether or not these other modalities that I don't necessarily have confidence in, but there's uncertainty there and I could accept that uncertainty and embrace that uncertainty. 
I like that. That works. Do you yeah. suppose that uh, they would be understanding of that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I do think that as patients, you know, we're all grasping at, you know, whatever might help. And so uh, encouraging a little optimism is, is always a good thing. Has your mentees ever said or expressed what they think about you or feel about you? Um, well, I have, uh, yes, I have heard some very positive things, um, and, uh, mostly just a graciousness, a, a gratefulness that, uh, that somebody is there and somebody is listening. Cynthia, what, what do you think, um, or feel is the purpose of this all going through all that you've been through? Oh, well, on a very practical level, it's, you know, to get on to you know, live the next day and do other things to help other people. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not really a spiritual person. And I don't view us as, you know, going to live on in some other world or in some other life. I think it's, it's what, what we do in this life. And, uh, and there's still a lot to be done. So the purpose of going through all of that was uh, uh, to be well enough to uh, be able to contribute more in the future. And how do you think that you can bolster accountability in that area of uncertainty and not knowing and being open to people's journeys? Yeah. Well, I, I do think that no matter what we think uh, or, or are confident in knowing on any given day, uh, that changes. And look how much the world has changed in the past, you know, two, six, 10, 20 years. Um, so many assumptions that we have about what is true um, uh, are, um, are proven wrong the next day or the next month or year or whatever. So, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, dealing with uncertainty is something we all need to just accept and incorporate into our lives. You know, just as you have the support system, what do you know to be true when it comes to this cancer journey and helping others through the process? Well, I know that um, that we all experience emotions differently um, and that we all express uh, what we're experiencing differently and that we all cope with um, what we're feeling and expressing differently. Um, because we are all different people um, uh, and we all go into cancer with a different set of assumptions about uh, life. Um, we go through cancer with a different set of assumptions about our, uh, what the process is going to be like, what our experience is going to be like. Um, and so we all need different ways of coping, different, uh, uh, different things are going to resonate better for different people. I was to gift you an amulet or an object that could help you get closer or, or deeper in your relationships with you with people that you serve what would what would that entail I, you know i guess it would be a um uh you know, a magic looking glass, magnifying glass that would allow me to see deeper into their emotions um, 
not just what they're saying to me, but what they're actually feeling. And obviously, since I can't do that, (laughs) how can we make that real? How can we make that somewhat real? Well, I think that, you know, the hard thing is knowing, you know, what to ask and how deeply to probe when somebody is, um, uh, you know, feeling what they're feeling uh, going through cancer. And of course, it's, it's that much harder because I'm doing so much of this now over the phone, as opposed to sitting beside somebody in the chemo suite, holding their hand, seeing how they're responding. Um, you know, and, and as you know, so much of, of a person's emotions is conveyed on their, on their face, but I'm not seeing faces. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an added challenge right now. And it's a, uh, it's hard to be able to know, as I said, how hard to push, how deeply to probe. And um, you know, obviously listening with an open heart is uh, all I can do. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and your heart said something to you that, that the other person's words maybe didn't? Oh, often. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. All the time. And can you besides the phone, find a way to mm-hmm. visually connect with them? And I'm not sure I know what you mean there. You know, you mentioned phone. Do you do vi- virtual? Um, oh, uh, video calls. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, often patients don't feel like they want to project themselves on video because they don't like the way they look. They don't feel good enough to, you know, and, and everybody thinks they have to perform when they're on video. Um, whereas, you know, pre-COVID, I would wander the halls of the chemo suites and, and be able to just pop in. And of course, nobody expects that they're supposed to look good when they're receiving chemo. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a little bit different now. It's, uh, it's a little bit trickier. But. So Cynthia, we talked a lot today, <laughs> really going in and out from emotions to action. Um, what's one step that you can take out of today's conversation that can help you? Well, I think that I can just uh, remind myself that I do need that, uh, that super magnifying glass to be able to look inside and, and see what's really going on. Maybe just uh, take a moment longer in silence um, to uh, uh, let those emotions that somebody's trying to communicate uh, find a way to the surface. Mm. Always good to remember the benefit of listening, listening with an open heart. Beautiful. Which you said you are good at. So that's, that's great. Well, is this, uh, do you, do you feel complete? (laughs) Is this a good uh, transition to the interview portion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So Cynthia Hayes, please tell my audience more about you, your work and what you do. Uh, so I, um, as I mentioned earlier, I wrote a book called uh, The Big Ordeal, Understanding and Managing the Psychological Turmoil of Cancer. And this book is based on uh, initially my experience, but really the experience of over 100 uh, patients that I um, spoke with um, to try to understand what it is we feel um, when we uh, uh, hear the words, you've got cancer, and why we feel that and, and what 
the experiences like sort of in each um, step along the way. Um, and so um, uh, I started out by interviewing patients, ended up interviewing uh, a lot of caregivers as well, and then ultimately um, uh, oncologists, psychotherapists, exercise physiologists, neuroscientists to try and understand why do we feel that way and what do we do about it? Uh, how do we cope and better manage? Um, and in addition to the, the book, um, I also um, speak on the topic on a regular basis. I have a, a website, thebigordeal.com, which has a lot of uh, free information and resources for, uh, for patients and, and caregivers. Um, and I do uh, a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one, um, mentoring of cancer patients, both uh, through the Montefiore Medical Center uh, in the Bronx and uh, Mount Sinai Hospital, um, and anybody who reaches out to me, I'm really uh, always happy to, uh, to help. Um, one of the things that I love to talk about is, um, uh, is how the emotional uh, experience of being a cancer patient um, creates wedges in our relationships with people. Um, and that wedge happens because we as patients uh, hold back um, some of our emotions, some information, some of the uh, experiences we're having, um, sometimes to protect ourselves, sometimes to protect others around us. Um, and then meanwhile, those around us who love us, they hold back some of their fears and concerns for us. And so we end up not communicating as fully as we would if cancer were not in the room. Um, and that communication gap becomes um, a gap in all of our um, intimate relationships, whether they are physically intimate or just emotionally intimate, that, that gap grows over time. Um, and uh, I, I, I try to encourage awareness of that because I think that that then can have a lasting impact on relationships um, post-treatment. Uh, post um, so many people talk about the people that didn't show up for them when they had cancer or the surprising people that showed up out of the woodwork uh, when they had cancer. Often the people that quote unquote didn't show up are people that have their own fears about cancer or their own fears around emotions of talking about emotions. And sometimes um, if we're able to uh, have an initial conversation with them about how disappointed we are, we can get to a place where there's no longer that wedge uh, in that relationship. Um, but I think as a cancer patient, you're so overwhelmed with so much that you have to deal with that often, you know, these, these things fall by the wayside and we don't have the, um, the bandwidth to talk about our emotions. We don't have the bandwidth to maintain relationships. And, you know, at the end of the experience, how do we get back the life that we, uh, that we wanted to live? So... That's me and the big ordeal in a nutshell. So in the writing of the book, the interviewing, the researching, what have you found that surprised you the most? Well, I think I was crazily surprised at how common the emotional experience is um, and how, um, uh, how much um, the, uh, the actual sequence of emotions uh, can be predicted and understood um, and also how much, I mean, to, to the extent that um, those emotions are driven by physical changes. So all of that was hugely um, surprising. Um, and of course, I was also pleasantly surprised at the degree to which people wanted to share and 
the degree to which people felt better for having shared their story with me. And, and that was part because um, uh, by sharing their stories, they were sort of unburdening themselves of a lot of what they had uh, experienced. But then also I was validating their experience. I helped people understand that, yeah, no, it is okay. That in fact, that is common. Um, and since then, I've seen all sorts of research about, uh, in fact, the benefit of sharing and that those of us who do share um, what we're experiencing, uh, what we're going through, whatever, actually recover better and have um, uh, you know, a more resilient uh, recovery uh, from cancer. Um, there's something in the process of sharing that uh, allows us to accept what we've been through and therefore be able to process it better and, uh, and learn from it. Um, so a lot of really interesting things I learned along the way. What are some tips that you could provide someone who's just listening to this and find out they have cancer or their loved one has cancer? What would you, yeah. what would you suggest? Well, a handful of things. Um, the, starting with um, ask a lot of questions, um, you know, and, and, ask for help. And I think that those two things alone just go so far in helping you cope with it all. Um, I think that uh, uh, we tend to get so scared by the word cancer that it's easy to just shut down. Um, but by remembering that even if the doctor is an expert in you know, uh, cancer XYZ, um, you're the only expert in you. And to advocate for yourself, you have to tell the doctor how you feel and not just how you feel physically, but how you feel emotionally. How is this treatment feeling in your body? How does it feel to have that tumor uh, in your body? How does it feel to have that tumor removed from your body? Um, the doctor has a general sense of what um, he or she is, is doing to you, but only by hearing from you in particular about what you're experiencing, can the doctor really understand what you're going through and therefore help you um, with the management of side effects or uh, symptoms from the disease or, or whatever. Um, so I really encourage patients to advocate for themselves. I also think that it's important to be asked for help and to recognize that cancer is an emotional experience as well as a physical one. And that that asking for help is not just the practical, you know, can you make dinner tonight? Um, but it is the physical, I need help getting up and out because my belly hurts from my surgery or whatever. And the emotional, I am crying on the inside, even if it looks like I've got it all together on the outside. So um, those are some tips. I, the other thing I like uh, to remind patients is that the only right way to cope is the way that works for you. And everybody's got suggestions on, oh, you should you know, exercise, you should eat a better diet, you should do this, that, and the other thing. Well, it only is good if it works for you. Um, you know, there are a handful of categories of coping. You can cope by sort of thinking your way through it and problem solving and being very cognitive in your approach. You can cope by doing, and that's like exercising and laughing and, and socializing and hugging and all of these things that actually um, change uh, body chemistry um, and release our... Um, are good hormones. Um, 
And then there's all sorts of mind-body things you can do, like meditation, which I was never any good at, but also like, you know, singing in the choir or knitting or, you know, all of these things that engage both the body and the mind in a way to calm and reduce um, stress. Um, but again, the only right way to cope is the way that works for you. So how can a cancer patient or someone who, you know, knows someone who has cancer help them reclaim their emotional power? That is such a great question. And of course, it, it starts with that, uh, that sense of we don't really have control. Control over our lives is an illusion. And, you know, we always say you could get hit by a bus tomorrow, but in fact, you can, and cancer can happen tomorrow. And uh, your child could get sick tomorrow. And, you know, the dog could die tomorrow. I mean, all sorts of things can happen tomorrow. You can win a million dollars tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it can be good things that happen tomorrow. But we don't, we don't really have control over our lives. And learning to let go of some of that control and um, accept that cancer is going to be a roller coaster ride, accept that um, we can't really predict uh, what's going to happen um, the next you know, few days, few weeks, few months. Um, learn to live with that a little bit, and uh, that'll make it a lot a lot better. Wonderful. Well, Cynthia, this is beautiful conversation. Thank you so much. Before we go, I want you to tell my audience where they can find more about you and your work online. So the first place to go is thebigordeal.com. Uh, and it's a free website, lots of content, help yourself, eat it all up and um, send me your questions. I'm always happy to hear from, uh, from somebody who's, uh, who's been to the website. Um, I do have uh, a book, which I highly recommend, The Big Ordeal, Understanding and Managing the Psychological Turmoil of Cancer. It's available in bookstores everywhere, of course, on Amazon. Um, and you can follow me um, uh, on Twitter um, at thebigordeal.com or um, Facebook and Instagram, um, cancer.thebigordeal. Um, so um, always love to hear from cancer patients always collecting uh, cancer stories. If you want to share your story um, as a patient or a caregiver, um, love to hear more stories uh, and, uh, and add your story to, uh, to the website as well. Wonderful. Cynthia, this is beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has really been delightful. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.